Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, You would know, those of you that are with us every week, we're in the middle of a series on salvation. We're working through the book of Exodus. And this morning, I'd love to jump straight into the Word. I want to give time as much as possible for, uh, for God to do what He needs to do this morning. So we're going to open the Word together. If you've got your Bible, look on the screen. If you don't, we're going to Exodus 12, verse 1 to 14. Exodus 12, verse 1 to 14. All right, read along with me. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head and its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with the fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, So you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you When I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Let's pray. Father, as we've opened your word this morning, I pray you would open our hearts. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that can perceive the truths of God. For Father, you do a work in this earth that you have begun and imagined in your mind before time began, and you invite us into it. Father, this is not a small thing. It is not a light thing. It is not something, God, that we will ever be able to look back in eternity and say, God, we didn't realize how much trouble you went to. But Father, we will be held account that there is a great depth of what you have done for this earth and the way that you have made a way for us to be with you. God, would you help us grab hold of this truth this morning, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
This is not just a significant moment today in the life of Israel. What we've just read is a significant day in the history of the world. And so God was setting up some things. He was taking further shape to a plan of salvation that he was going to roll out for thousands of years after that. But he was setting a framework in the scripture that we just read. We're not going to just look at Passover today. We're going to be looking at how it is a building block for faith. How we as the people of God can have a confidence in our heart that God has an intention for us way beyond what we could think, hope, or dream about. And because of his intention, there is an opportunity for us to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to encourage you, you know, we're going to look past the veil of this story and look down through the thousands of years to see the prophetic future that God was declaring. He was getting ready to pour himself into the earth, and he was setting it up from this day. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's one of the most famously recalled scriptures in John 3.16. I think most unbelievers can quote that scripture. The thing is, what we're seeing today in the Exodus story is we are viewing the prequel to that story. God so loved that he gave. Well, what we're seeing here is the depth of setup that the love of God is going through before he gave his son. And so we're going to unpack a little bit more of that. There is a pattern for demonstrating his love that is now in effect in the world. It's the prequel. Now, I didn't know what a prequel really was until the Star Wars movies came out. I didn't know such a thing existed. But apparently, it's a really clever way of making loads and loads of extra money off a really, really good idea called Star Wars. When I was a kid, back in, well, I was a kid before 1977, but in 1977, when the first Star Wars movie came out, we thought it was magnificent. It was the best CGI you would ever have seen. And there were lightsabers, and there were pajamas you could buy, there were little stickers you could stick all over you, and like there was, like you could waste a fortune with Obi-Wan Kenobi. But we found out decades later that that was actually not episodes one, two, and three, that was episodes four, five, and six. There's episode nine. Wow, how did we get to that so quick? So there's four, five, and six that we saw. Now there's one, two, and three, that's the prequel. Now we realize what happened before four, five, and six, and of course, then there is the sequel which was then episodes seven, eight, and nine. So there's a trilogy of trilogies. Oh, man, I mean, what George Lucas, is he a genius or what? This has nothing to do with Star Wars this morning. I just wanted to say this, though, that we are looking at the prequel. We're looking at the setup. God set up in the book of Exodus for what he's about to do. When God says, I love you, our challenge is, what does that mean? It's like telling your children, I love you. If you've got a small child in primary school, maybe even before primary school, and as a mum or a dad, you say to them, I love you, do they really understand what you're saying? Do they actually comprehend the depth 
of the feeling, the thoughts, the emotion, the way in which your whole body aches with those words, yeah? That do they really know that there's nothing you wouldn't do for them to help them, protect them, watch over them, provide for them? You will go without to see them get what they need. Can I see a wave of any parent who thinks that's remotely true for you? Only half of the parents in the room, great. Look after those kids out the back. There's a very dismal future waiting for them when they get home. Of course, they can't understand. And so when the God of heaven, the infinite God of the universe, says, I love you, do you think we've got a clue what he means? Of course we don't. And so he's trying to demonstrate love to us. It's why when you look at the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrews didn't, the writers didn't talk much about the love of God. What they talked about was the chesed of God, H-E-S-E-D. There you go. The chesed of God. The chesed of God is simply means, and it's a complicated word. David used to use the word loving kindness or steadfast love. But it means loyal love, or what I love is loving covenant obligation. Loving covenant obligation. In other words, God said, I'm going to show you what love is because I'm going to design a way in which you can engage with me and I'm going to pour myself into the mold that I've created so that you can see how much I love you. So he creates in his mind what the mold will look like that he will demonstrate himself into. God has designed every level of creation through his chesed, through his faithfulness. The cosmos, that we, if we look up, you see the sun, you see the moon, and you're standing on the earth. The cosmos is actually God implementing time. Why? Because the sun is all about the time frame of one year, the earth's revolution around the sun once is one year. Then there's the moon, the moon, the stages of the moon from its slight slither all the way through to its fullness of moon is around 30 days. It's one month. So God has designed a year, he's designed a month, and then as the earth rotates on its axis, he's designed 24 hours. So now we've got days which become weeks and then become months, which then become years. God creating the heavens was creating time. And so he put into that expression himself his chesed, his faithfulness. How many people believe tomorrow morning the sun will rise? How many people would be shocked if it didn't? Again, only half of us. Okay, so I'm really worried about the parents who haven't put their hand up twice now. Okay, this is a bit of a concern. The faithfulness of God. He can't but not demonstrate his faithfulness to you. Time is actually a created idea of God. Don't think for a minute that we woke up as a human race and said, oh, I don't know, I think we'll just uh, measure things now. What do you think? Someone got a ruler? We're going to work out how all this thing works. No, we observed over many, many hundreds and thousands of years this kind of patterns that were happening. And we said, ooh, 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 ooh. And we thought through 
and we caught up with some of the intent of God. Then we look at the earth itself. The earth is layers upon layers of faithful patterns. The flora, the fauna, the microscopic, the atomic, all of it spinning on each other, round and round, worlds within worlds, all building on top, so that we can just sit here today and breathe oxygen and say, oh, well, we're the God of our own world. Arrogantly, we can say, well, we don't need God. What would I need God for? And yet, every single thing that's going on right now around you and in you, and things you can't see, is happening because of the chesed of God the faithfulness of God, the love of God demonstrated through his faithfulness to you. And so God didn't plan that creation would speak only about himself. He's put a story into the earth, this incredible story about the nation of Israel. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. There is a plan he had in his head before he said, let there be light. And we're beginning to see some real flesh and bones come on this plan in the scriptures we just read this morning. Let's just wind back a little bit, though, before the prequel. So this is the prequel of the prequel, just in case you're getting lost. Even George Lucas hasn't thought about that yet. Before the Exodus, Adam and Eve are created and they're in the Garden of Eden. Just think with me for a minute. They're in the Garden of Eden Adam and Eve's sin, we won't go into that whole story in detail. What does God do? The first thing God does is he kills an animal. He takes the skin of the animal and he makes them into tunics that Adam and Eve can wear. The blood of an innocent animal has been made into a covering of righteousness for Adam and Eve. He sets in place that idea right from the beginning. Then we wind forward a little bit to the blood covenant of Abraham. God asks Abraham to take Isaac up a mountain. They go up a mountain, they gather everything. Isaac's smart enough to say, "Uh, Dad, is there a uh, sacrifice we should be uh, collecting right now? And Abraham says, God will provide. And as he's bound his son and he places the son on the altar, he raises the knife to plunge it into his son's chest. God says, stop. And in the thicket over there is a ram that's caught And so Abraham takes it and kills it and offers it in place of his son to God. Again, a merciful God has provided a sacrifice to cover the naked sinner with a garment of righteousness. He gifted it to them. Abraham didn't take it. It was waiting in the thicket. God placed it there. And then God speaks this promise to Abraham. It's pregnant with ideas and and God's amazing creative thought. It's in Genesis 22 and verse 17. It may come up on the screen. With blessing, I will bless you. He's talking about Abraham and his family. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Here it is. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God is gonna raise up this family to become a nation out of which will come a blessing for all of the peoples of the earth. And so now we come forward again to the Exodus story, to the scripture we just just read before. 
This is more than just about Passover. God is establishing the Hebrew calendar. He links the faithfulness of time, which is already in motion, with the practice of God consciousness and worship. How does he do it? Firstly, he says, on the, at the ripening of the barley, as soon as it's ripe, and the sliver of the, full, of sliver of the moon is seeing. In other words, it's the first of the cycle of the new moon. So it's a sliver. And the barley is ripe. When those two things happen, that's the first day of your year. That's the first day of your year. God is putting a line in the sand and saying, number one. Then he says, 10 days after that, I want you to find a lamb, a lamb for a household, and I want you to inspect it for four days to see whether or not it is perfect and without spot. And when you've determined that it is, on the 14th day, on the evening of the 14th day, you will kill that lamb and you will place the blood on the doorpost of your house and the lintel. Now, in our Exodus story, that was critically important because God was going to come and he was going to plague the Egyptians with one last plague. And I'm not going to focus too much on that because we know the outcome of that story. Obviously, God came, he passed over the households that had the blood there. And as a result of that blood sacrifice, people were set free, the people of Israel were set free. And of course, within days they left and were Pharaoh sent them out into the wilderness. But God wasn't finished. If you read the rest of that scripture, he said, that's the Passover. And then he gave specific instructions on the evening of the Passover, you're to kill this lamb without breaking any bones in its body. And you are to roast it completely whole and eat it completely on the night. None of it is to be left until morning. And in fact, if you don't, then whatever is not eaten must be burnt in the fire, completely consumed. Very strict instructions. At the same time prior to the Passover, he speaks to the barley sheaf and he says this, when you see that the barley is starting to ripen, the first day of the year where I proclaim that's the first, you are to go out and gather a sheaf and bind it together and leave it in the field, don't touch it. And it's to stay there. And then the priests are going to come past and they're going to pick up all these sheaves and they're going to bring it to the temple and they're going to wave the sheep before the Lord as a sign that God is the provider of all that we need. And as they wave it before the Lord, then and only then can that sheaf be used to cook and to eat with. And while all that's happening, on the 10th of that month, I need you to go through all of your houses and get rid of any leaven that's there. Sweep your houses. I want none of it in sight. There cannot be a skerrick, not a bit. Everything must be gone. No leaven. And you will then bake loaves of bread that you will take and you will stripe them. You will place them in the fire. They will be, they will be cooked in that fire. And then you'll eat that bread as part of your Passover lamb for the next seven days after that. Understand there's three things God put in place there very strictly. And it was all centered around this Passover. The lamb, 
the sheaf that had to be waved, the sheaf of barley, and then the striped loaf, the unleavened loaf. When the sheaf was waved before, the, before God by the priest, it was the beginning of what they would call the counting of the Omer, which meant 50 days from then, there would be a new feast that would start. But in between time, this was going to be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But at the end of that time, there was going to be a feast they called Pentecost. And that was going to be a time when leaven could be brought back in and there was going to be a gathering together. There was going to be a great feast. But that was in 50 days' time, but only from the start of the waving of the sheaf. God was very clear. God was very specific about what he was doing. And the people needed to obey. And so in the Exodus story now, we see that the people do this thing. They have no idea what they're doing. They know God has commanded it. They know God has delivered them because Pharaoh lets them go. So this is something they look back to. If they were asking the question, God, why do we have to do this? Then they link, God linked it to the story and said, well, I passed over you. And so every single year at this time, that's what you'll do. There'll be the first of the year. There'll be the 10th day. On the 10th day, you'll do the things I've asked you to do. On the 14th, you'll do the sacrifice. You'll actually eat at all the Passover. And, on the four, and then so it would run. And year after year after year, Israel did this thing. And then for the next 1,500 years, this nation observed that pattern year after year after year. The prophets began to predict that there was the coming of the one. This one would be both Messiah but also sacrifice. This one would be born of a virgin, so earthly but also divine. Isaiah talked about the warrior king, but also the prince of peace. This is descendant of David was going to be born, but he was also the son of God. It was like, who is this person that's coming? And different ones had different glimpses of it, but all of Israel was looking forward to what God was going to do. All the while the feasts were taking place, all the while the days were ticking over, they were following the patterns of God. I love this. I love this. 1,500 years later, 1,500 years later, in the exact fulfillment of the feasts and symbols of the Exodus story, John the Baptist stands in the Jordan as Jesus walks and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He identifies prophetically, this is the one. The voice thunders from heaven. My beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, the person born of a virgin, who is a descendant of David, who has just been affirmed by the Father God as divine. This is him. Mark the moment, this is him. Within three years then, this lamb crosses over the Jordan on the 10th day of Nisan, the 10th day from the start of the year. Exactly at the same time when the lambs were being brought into the temple to be inspected by the high priest. It was all happening at the same time. The Lamb of God comes into Jerusalem. 
He is inspected, he is tried by the high priest, he is proclaimed blameless by Pilate. In other words, this is a spotless lamb. Pilate says, I can find no cause in him. The spotless lamb. Simultaneously then, as the high priest is selecting the lamb for the Passover sacrifice, Jesus is selected for sacrifice over Barabbas, the thief. They say, no, no, we don't want him, we want him. The spotless lamb is picked by the people of Israel to die. Simultaneously. On the evening of the Passover feast, as all of the families are sitting down on this hill called Golgotha, the ultimate lamb is slain. Slain. Not a bone in his body is broken, the scriptures said, as he's on the cross. And then he goes into Hades, the place of fire, and takes the keys of hell and of death from the devil. His physical body doesn't remain on the cross but it's removed before morning according to the Passover custom because the lamb must be completely consumed and cannot remain in the place of feasting until the morning. He's taken and removed. His blood becomes the doorway through which we come into the presence of God. On the posts and on the lintels, the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world in the pattern according to God. And just like the unleavened loaf that's baked and striped, Jesus, our bread of life, is without sin, meaning he has no leaven. And Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And so the striped loaf dies on the cross, goes into the fire for you and me. And then as if this is not enough fulfillment, as the firstborn amongst many brethren, Jesus is the first fruits, like the sheaf that stands in the field, the sheaf of barley. And if you look back through prophetic types, you'll notice, remember when Joseph had his prophecy, he said, I see a sheaf and other sheaves are bowing down. Often the sheaf represents a person in Old Testament typology. But there it is, three days after the cross, Jesus is raised from the dead. He was the first fruits of the covenant. But he needs to be waved in front of the Father. Do you remember when Jesus was there at the tomb and Mary Magdalene came and she says, Rabboni, when she finally recognizes that it's him, she thought it was the gardener. And he says, don't touch me because I have not yet been presented to my Father. What does he mean? He means I am the first fruits, I am the sheaf of barley that needs to be weighed before my father. Until that happens, no one can touch the harvest. First fruits, I am the firstborn of many brethren that are about to come. I am the beginning of a great harvest that God is gonna breathe through this earth. What is God doing? The story that we read, the lamb that is sacrificed at Passover, the removal of the leaven from each house, the baking of the striped loaves in the fire, the waving of the sheep of barley before God as a first fruit of the harvest, the counting of the omer for 50 days from that moment. 
all points to one thing. If you don't hear anything I say this morning, hear this. This is now God's ultimate purpose for mankind. This is what it's all been for. Folks, this is what God wants it for. He's gone to a lot of trouble to put time in the heavens, to link time to our worship and practices, to show us through one little family and nation how his faithfulness can be demonstrated. It all comes to this apex point. Turn with me to Exodus 19 and verse 3. In the Hebrew story, the Exodus story, which we haven't read word for word, but you can go back and read it. After they crossed through over the Red Sea, sorry, after Passover, 50 days later, they came to the mount called Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same, same mountain. That was the mountain where Moses had come and met the Lord in the burning bush. And remember, God said to him, go and get my people and bring them back to this mountain so that they can worship me. Remember that. So that's what Moses had done, taken him 50 days, but he got them there. Now they're at the mountain. Number, let's look at Exodus 19. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a trip, special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Here's the bit. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. But here's the travesty. God says to the people of Israel, you're here now. All of this has been done so that we can be one people. You'll be a kingdom, a nation of priests to me. A nation. Prepare yourself for three days. And then I'm going to come down on the mountaintop and I'm going to meet with you. Don't touch the mountain because if you do, you'll die, but come close to the mountain. And so they did and the people started to move forward towards the mountain and God came down in fire and thunders and lightnings. And as he did, it was so terrible to the eyes of the people that they drew back with fear. But Moses kept going. And the people in one voice cried out and said, Moses, we don't want to go close. How about you go and you be our advocate. Tell us what God says. Folks, that's not the dream of God. God is not looking for a priest to represent you. God wants a nation of priests that he can come close to, that he can speak to, that he can fellowship with, that he can commune with. And so have a look what happened 1,500 years later or so. Jesus is crucified on the cross, the lamb, the Passover lamb. 50 days from that point, there are 120 people now gathered in the upper room. Go with me to Acts 2 and verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
Have a listen to how perfect God is. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house. There appeared to them tongues of fire as one that sat upon them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Finally, there's 120 people at that stage that are willing to come close to the fire and the manifestations of the power of God a people to be priests before him forever. 50 days from the Passover, 50 days from the crucifixion of the Lamb of God, exactly to the day, God comes down from the mountain on high and visits his people. What a brilliant plan. What an amazing story of God. 1 Peter 2 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. Folks, there is now a new law. The point of this salvation series is to say, on the back of this Exodus story, God has built something so powerful for you. There is not a sin on this earth that can stop you from being with him. Do you really think that the former things are greater than the latter? That the first Adam, sin, is greater than the second Adam's deliverance? God has something incredible for us as his people. And he wants us not just to be people that observe the mountain of God and observe the priests of God going up to the mountain. He wants you. He wants you to draw near, to not be afraid of him, to not be concerned what would happen if I gave him my life. What if I gave him all of me? I'm not sure I'm willing to do that yet. And yet this holy and loving God has done everything to say to you, trust me, I am the God of chesed. I am the God of chesed. I will be faithful to you. I have been faithful to you. I will be faithful to you. I am being faithful to you. It's an incredible story. And I say when people look at me at times and say, yeah, what's your proof that God is real? I want to say, how long have you got? How long have you got? Because the proofs are everywhere in the meticulous planning of the infinite God who thinks of every detail so that you and I will just come to him and say, Father, I love you. Could we pray? God, this morning, there is nothing more satisfying than you. God, we've tried to convince ourselves always that there are other pathways, other ways, other ideas that somehow just fall short in satisfying us in our heart of hearts. They leave us empty. We think for a minute they'll be satisfying to us, but actually, as we've consumed them year after year, we realize that we are still not filled. God, I pray for us as people, God, that you would give us the faith and courage to see you, to trust you, to believe in you, to walk with you, to not think of our own thoughts as being 
the way, but, but, to, but to give our heart and mind and trust to the one that has put all of this in place for us. Jesus, you are our Saviour and Lord. We declare your name in this house today. The Lamb that was slain to take away the sin of the world. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I just, I just love to just talk to those this morning. And you would, you're sitting here and you'd say, I don't really have an assurance in my heart that I am born again. That story you're talking about, that passion, love that you have for God, I'm not sure that's my story. I wouldn't be able to close my eyes and say, I have an assurance that Jesus is my Lord, that what He's done is for me, and I, I own that, I see it. And if that's you this morning, there's nothing wrong with being in that place. All of us stood in that place at some time and looked into the face of this and said, God, are you real? But I know this, that if I can put myself in your shoes just for a minute, I know what that tug of my heart was like as I felt the tug of God say, come. And I know that many of you are feeling that now. That's the tug of the Holy Spirit of God saying, come on, come in, come in. It's good. You'll be okay. That's you this morning. I want to give you a chance just to pray a short prayer that we're all going to pray together. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I'd love you to pray this prayer. Because if you will, it's just the start of a journey then. It's the start of your heart just opening up and saying, okay, God, I'm going to walk with you. I want that assurance. Would you fill me with that assurance? This morning, we're going to put on screen just the prayer we're going to pray. And I'd just love all of us to pray. Those of us that are born again, those of us that are considering whatever. But those that really lean into this this morning, you say, this is for me. I want you to pray this out of your heart. Say, God, please hear me as we pray. Could we do that together? Okay. Jesus Christ. Come on, pray with me. Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong and choose to follow you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and promise me new life. Please come into my life so I can know your power and grace forever. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time this morning, I really want to encourage you to just tell someone that looks like they belong here that you did. I'm true to my word. I won't embarrass you, but I do want you to take a step towards God this morning. We've got Alpha and other programs that we would run to help you understand who God is. It'd be good for us to know that we can help you put on that journey. Grab a blue-shirted person, myself, Jason, anyone that stands on this stage. We'd love to be able to point you in the right direction if that's you this morning, which is great. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.